What is the core passion that they keep circling back to? What's that one idea that they can't let go of that they're really passionate about? Because I think sometimes a lot of writers, and I've fallen prey to this too, you kind of get the cart before the horse and you think about saleability and marketing before the idea itself. Welcome back to the podcast. My name is David Bloom. And I'm Alan Briggs. And we've got another episode for you. What we're excited about is we've got a return guest. We've got Drew Dick, who is actually on episode 55, and he talked about getting disciplined and hitting our goals. And Drew is actually talking with Alan about writing and how to get published and all the things that go into that. Alan, this is part of your world. You have published three books so far, three full-length books and uh, several eBooks. And so talk to us about the conversation that you had with Drew. I get asked all the time, how do I write a book? Is there a book here in this idea? How do I get published? What are publishers looking for? And some of those I can answer, and some of those I can't answer. So we went straight to the horse's mouth here. Drew is the lead editor over at Moody Publishers and is an author himself. So he really comes from so many different angles on this topic. And uh, I love the honesty with this. And if you are a writer, you want to be a writer, you know someone who wants to publish a book, um, you're thinking about it, you're hitting against barriers in the process, I think this will really demystify a lot of things in the process. I'm actually finishing up my first collaborative write. So collaborative write is when your name is on the bottom. So I will be a with Alan Briggs on the bottom of a book that I highly believe in. I got to write that alongside of uh, some leaders with an organization I believe in. It'll be out at the end of the summer. And I'm kind of in that process where it's ground me down at the very end of the editing process. And this excitement that you start with writing, you get to the end and go, man, this is really, really hard at the end. And yet I'm always so glad uh, when it comes out into the world, especially when it blesses people, when somebody says, I resonate with this, I needed this statement, this encouraged me, sometimes in tears. So I'm one that can testify to the full power of writing, how amazing it is. Um, to have your book go these places that you cannot go physically, and yet how hard it can be. It's a labor of love. So if you're a writer or want to be a writer, this episode is for you. We want to encourage you guys to share this. Hit the button share. You can text that to a friend. You can screenshot it, share on social media. So many people want to write, but so few people end up actually writing a book. And again, Drew demystifies the process. I think this is as practical as it is encouraging for you. So enjoy my conversation with my friend and the editor at Moody Publishers, Drew Dick. All right, well, on the podcast today, we have a return visitor, return guest. This is Drew Dick. And in a previous episode, he talked about your future self. Well, thank you. A great book that he just published. And uh, Drew is also the editor at Moody Press. And so today, we want to talk about writing. So Drew, as both a writer and an editor, thanks for jumping on the podcast today. Hey, thanks for having me back. Yeah, I um, occupy a bit of a unique space because I'm kind of burning the publishing candle from both ends, uh, both as you know an editor working with other people's words. Uh, and then uh, when I can uh, steal the time, uh, trying to write my own stuff. So it's fun. All right. So tell me about your writing career first, and then I want to hear about your editing career. And what's the difference between those two things? Oh, sure. Yeah. So, you know, since I was a young adult, I had aspirations to write. I didn't know exactly what that would look like. 
Um, but in my late teens and early twenties, even I started writing for a couple of magazines, like small, uh, denominational periodicals. Um, and I was very excited to get a couple, uh, little devotionals. And now that I read them, very sappy devotionals, uh, published, um, and, you know, I got an English degree, went to seminary, um, and I kind of fell into the, you know, so I, I wanted to be a, a writer and was doing a lot of that for different magazines. Uh, but I sort of stumbled into the editing thing that wasn't really on my radar. Of course, I'd interacted with a lot of editors by writing for different magazines. Uh, but then when this position came up at a magazine to be an assistant editor, uh, someone invited me to apply and I did. And yeah, wow, you, it's really interesting to peek behind the curtain, especially now that I'm in the book side of things. Um, to see just how highly collaborative the whole process is. Uh, people tend to think when a book comes out, oh, this author just kind of sat in a cabin somewhere and, and birthed this masterpiece by him or herself, and it was just one person. But the truth is, publishing is a highly collaborative process. You've got multiple editors at different stages involved. You've got marketers, of course, uh, the printer, the art director, uh, doing the cover, all kinds of things. And the good news, I think, is that when you do have more cooks in the kitchen, you actually end up with a far better product. Mm, good. So what do you describe the role of an editor to be? And how's that helpful to a writer? Yeah, I think an editor, the the, the goal of an editor is to help the author um, get a message out. And I'm thinking primarily a nonfiction because that's my world. I'm not thinking of like novels, but they're trying to refine their message so it can reach as many people as possible and be as effective as possible. So I think when you're an editor, sometimes the temptation can be to change the essential message to what you think it should be. But that's where you're kind of overstepping your role, I think. I think the the editors, when we're at our best, we're helping the author's voice come through more clearly uh, and helping it to resonate with people and to be more clear. Uh, and so I think that's the the good the great service that a good editor provides. It's really like the ninja of the writing process. Like you don't know that they're there, but you can feel their presence. I mean, my my messages got increasingly better for my first two books. And it's kind of this love-hate relationship where it's like, oh man, the teacher marked up my paper with red pen again. And you go and read it later on a few more nights of sleep. And you think, dang, that was choppy. That wasn't good. And they literally helped make it better. So David, if you're listening to this, thank you. You helped me develop my <laughs> voice even in, in the process. So I'm a huge fan of editors. And that's one uh, major advantage of working with a publisher instead of just an editor. Um, Drew, do you have a particular writing process that you stick to? Well, first of all, let me say that warms my heart to hear you say that because uh, not all writers have that same outlook, right? <laughs> they see editors as this like, oh, this uh, pain in the neck uh, part of the process. But you're right. It it always, even though it's painful at the time, right? Because no one likes having their words uh, torn apart and corrected. Uh, it ends up making for a much better product. And I'm also going to steal what you said about editors being like ninjas. Maybe I'll even put that on my business card because that sounds I'm, I'm a ninja with words. Yes. <laughs> Feel free, man. I'm there. You can sense me, but you can't see me. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> what, was, what, was the, what was the question that you actually asked um, me? Do you have a particular writing process oh, yes. that you follow? Yes. It's called willy-nilly. 
uh, or helter skelter. No, yeah, I'm, I'm terrible. Don't don't take advice from me on this because well, I'll, I'll say this. Okay, one beautiful uh, motivating tool for writers is a deadline. Okay, I would not have written certainly any of my books without a deadline. Uh, there's just something tremendously motivating about that. Uh, as you're staring at the face. And, you know, it, when you publish a book with a conventional publisher, you get a contract and maybe a little bit of an advance. And that's all very exciting. You feel all official and you, you get to sign it. And maybe you post a picture on social media and go, hey, I, I did this. And then all of a sudden, oh, man, things get real because I've got a deadline. <laughs> right? Yep, and there it and- is. And you go through all these different phases of emotion uh, from thinking you're a genius to thinking you're a complete idiot uh, because writing's hard, especially a book length project. Um, you will uh, hit uh, certain points at which you are in total despair, but of course you just keep pushing. Um, and my process though, like um, I did find one thing um, and that is, and this actually relates back to the book I wrote about self-control. I realized that when I tried to write at the end of a work day, like I've been working all day, I've been on my computer, I've been editing. And then I go, okay, open up the word doc. I'm going to start writing at five o'clock. Doesn't work. Way too tired. My willpower was depleted. And I just wasn't fresh, especially with my job being um, already dealing with words. And so I found I had to do it earlier in the morning and like Saturday mornings or weekday mornings when I still had a little bit of juice in the tank. Uh, So that helps a lot. But unfortunately, you know, when I have, say, an eight month um, timeline to write a book in, you know, I will write a little bit at first, then like take two months off and then like come back to it and have like a really productive weekend, leave it again, and then have like a sprint to the the finish. So I'm still trying to work out <laughs> a really good schedule that I can stick to rather than having these kind of fits and starts. Sure. Well, and there are these little humans called your kids that also kind of change the process. We're ever evolving. So, you know, maybe you figure out your writing process and then suddenly it doesn't, it doesn't work anymore. I used to write oh, at night. Yes. My first book, it was, I mean, the first half of it was just awful because I would be like falling asleep on my keyboard. And then I'd think that you have to sort of punish yourself if you're going to get a book out of you. And eventually I was like, this is dumb and it doesn't work. I'm out. You know, this well, I'm, no, yeah, I'm no glad good. you brought up kids too, because that's huge. So I have, I've done an experiment in my life because my first book I wrote without kids. It was before we had uh, any kids. And I remember just going, oh, it's the weekend, you know, crack my knuckles. I got the whole weekend to just relax and write. And of course, now that I have three children, it is an entirely different game uh, because taking extra time to write means telling my wife you're on your own with the kids, uh, which is a difficult proposition. Um, And so, yes. So for you parents out there that are also writers, it is much harder. And I get a little resentful. I have to admit this is kind of dark. But when I see other people that don't have kids and they go, I need to take a writer's vacation. And I go, your whole life is a writer's vacation. What are you talking about? (laughs) That's right. You have so much space in there. You don't even know. Somebody asked me, did you ever like get away to a cabin for a month or something? No, (laughs) I have kids. Are you kidding? That sounds great for a second, but uh, Drew, wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. You probably get a ton of conversations at parties and emails and all that kind of stuff. Um, Somebody's an aspiring writer and they say, I want to write. What do you tell them? Do it. 
Um, I think, you know, we are in such a unique time in history because it used to be that if you didn't get past the gatekeepers, that is like a big conventional publisher and get your stuff published, uh, there was no way to, to get your message out there, uh, get your ideas, your writing out there. Well, that's not the case anymore. The biggest uh, outlet for books is now Amazon.com, which anyone can publish a book through Amazon. Uh, and of course, you can do you know blogging, all kinds of things, podcasts, whatever it is, you can go directly to people now, which is really exciting. So instead of kind of waiting for that big break moment where some big publisher is going to pick up your book, what I encourage people to do is start writing because the first question a publisher asks when they come to you, they go, who are you writing for? Who are you connecting with? Um, and that's not just them going, okay, we want, we're obsessed with platform. It's just going, if you're not doing this already, uh, that's a problem. So start, start writing, start refining your craft. You know, we talked about the role of an editor and how important that is, but you don't need a professional editor either. You can enlist help from friends and, and families, especially people who are good with words to look at your material and help you refine it. Um, so yeah, I, that's my encouragement is just start doing it. Well, as we've been doing recently, uh, we have a middle spot here on the podcast where we share just a little bit about coaching. And so wanted you to hear it straight from the horse's mouth. Uh, we've got Kimberly here, who I've had the privilege of walking alongside of you. If I can just brag on you a little bit, Kimberly, you've grown, you've looked at our last session always, you've done your homework and you've come prepared and it's been awesome to, to watch you grow. And we're about halfway through your coaching journey. So start with this, Kimberly, why did you pursue coaching? Yeah, I found myself last summer into the fall, just feeling like a lot of eye-opening moments were coming to the surface for me. And it honestly got to an overwhelming point where I was just thinking to myself, how do I, how do I process all of this? How do I make sure that I'm harnessing this, these epiphanies and, and this level of awareness that was coming into my life and world? And whether that had to do with work or home, it didn't really matter. It was just, they were popping up all over the place. And so I, I wanted to pursue coaching to honestly figure out what to do with all that energy that was coming into my life in that time. So that, that was the catalyst for me. And um, it was a really great way to focus my energy into a curated space to really have some objective thoughts and, and questions that would help me steward that time. Yeah, the, I love how you share that epiphanies. Um, you know, for me, it's always that aha moment where you go, oh my goodness, and we're coaching over Zoom so I can see someone's face go, wow, I hadn't thought about that or kind of wrinkle the brow a little bit like, wow, we'll have to spend more time on that. So um, lots of epiphanies for sure along the way. Uh, are there one or two ways that stick out that you've grown the most through coaching? Yeah, I think there's been so many patterns that I've been able to reflect on and unwind just that I feel like in my life, I've not realized were patterns to kind of rethink or unthink or um, to just kind of think about differently. And that sounds pretty vague, but coaching has brought up some of those patterns of thinking, maybe even the way that I see myself or the world around me or my workplace, that saying, processing what's going on in each of those spheres of my life out loud with a coach on the other end of things has helped me kind of think like, oh, maybe there's a flaw in that way of thinking, or maybe I should shake things up in how I've been approaching, you know, this kind of situation at work or at home or in a relationship or at church. And um, unthinking and unwinding those patterns has been a really eye-opening part of coaching that I did not expect, honestly. 
Yeah, and there's some real unique things. Uh, you're in the nonprofit space and do some incredible work there, serving other people. And um, you know, maybe ninety percent of the things are the same uh, between church and business and nonprofit. But then there are some uniquenesses that you probably don't even know you're processing um, as part of that team and part of what you get to do um, in your global ministry. Uh, are the, is there anything that surprised you, Kimberly, about coaching? Yeah, I think that. So each coaching session, those those four questions that we go through, uh, what's confusing, where are you thriving? You're going to have to help me fill in the other two, Alan. Um, oh, failed. No, just kidding. Uh, where are you thriving? Where are you struggling? Thriving. What's confusing and right. what's missing? So those four super simple questions have brought up so much that I, as I've prepared for a coaching session, and by prepare, I mean like spend a few minutes thinking about these questions it's really brought up so much I didn't even know what's going on inside my head and heart and in mind. And so just the process of those four questions being such a rhythm to our coaching process, I never knew what, what conversations and, and eye-opening moments would come from just that rhythm of those four questions. It's been a cool surprise to, to come upon. Well, we we are tool-based and question-based, and so we say that we get to partner with the Holy Spirit to walk alongside of you, kind of one ear on um, you know what you're saying and one ear on what the Spirit might be saying to you. So, Kimberly, it has been a joy to watch you grow, to watch you learn. Only the hungry grow, and you've come hungry, you've been honest, uh, and so it doesn't surprise me that you've seen a ton of growth. So, uh, cheering for you. I'm in your corner. Thanks for coming on the podcast today and, and sharing how God's using coaching in your life. Thanks, Alan. Thanks for the chance to get to share. And uh, that fear of practicing in public, just so you know, is a fear for all of us. That moment you hit, right. <laughs> you know, send, uh, go, publish, launch, whatever that is, is is still terrifying. Um, okay, the magic question, I'm sure you get this a lot. Um, help us clarify, what does it take for someone to get published? Yeah, it's, it's oh, it's a... A unique mix. And of course, it's different for every publisher. So it's hard to speak categorically, but there are a few areas the, the first one is execution. That is, can this person write? Um, because even if you have a great platform, or even if your idea is good, if you can't execute and actually um, write clearly, coherently, uh, or in a compelling manner, um, it's very hard to publish something like that. Editors can only do so much. So being a good writer is a huge thing. And then um, also, and it's a dirty word, but platform does matter. Um, and it's not that you have to be, you know, a reality TV star or something. But what, when I say platform, I just mean what I was referring to earlier. Are you already connecting with an audience of listeners and readers? Are you, um, have you demonstrated that your message and your writing is resonating with someone? And if you can do that and you can say, hey, listen, I've, I've published these articles and I've got this many visitors to my blog, that gives you some traction with uh, publishers because they go, oh, this person's already connecting. And so maybe their book will, will have a chance of succeeding as well. Um, and then, you know, and then when it comes to the actual idea of the book, that's important too. I get a lot of especially young guys that come to me and they go, I want to write a book about uh, you know, how important community is in the church. Well, I go, amen. It's very important, but you've got to have a sort of, 
interesting angle, maybe a counterintuitive take, because there's been a lot of books written about community in the church uh, going back centuries. And so you have to stand out somehow with a bit of a unique, maybe it's kind of autobiographical. You've been through something that that helps you come to the topic with a fresh view, or maybe you have uh, an idea that's a little bit controversial and fresh that, that can provide people a new way to look at the topic. So yeah, so platform, the execution, and then uh, is your idea good? You know, and, and that means doing a little bit of research, looking at similar books uh, to the one that you're proposing and making sure that it stands out. One thing that, that grieves me, Drew, is how many messages go to the grave with people. How many messages die inside of our own heads and hearts that was an idea, potential, and you said there's never been a better time to just get your ideas out there with blogs and so many different ways, even a podcast and audio versions of books and I mean, so many different opportunities. But it, it seems like the hardest thing is actually getting that message out of someone's head and heart and onto paper. So get inside my mind as a second or for a second. Sometimes I'm a writing coach and I journey along with people to pull those messages out there. So give me some advice. What are some ways that I can help people coax that message out of them, build that writing habit so those messages don't die um, as as they go to the grave. That's so true. You know, I mean, people talk about how writing involves a lot of rejection, and that's true. But honestly, I think the most rejection writers get is from themselves. <laughs> you know, you have so many ideas that pop up. Oh, that'll never work. I couldn't do that. I'm not the right person to write that. Um, and, and that's toxic because you don't know until you try or you're waiting for someone's approval that you're thinking of uh, to kind of give you the green light to, to do it. And, and that's just ridiculous. You just got to forge ahead. And I think some of the good questions to ask people when they're really trying to find that the message that they want to champion, because it's a lot of effort and time and passion that you're going to pour into a, a project. Um, is to ask, is to kind of ask them what they, when they have some time to just think and reflect, what is the core passion that they keep circling back to? What's that one idea that they can't let go of that they're really passionate about? Because I think sometimes a lot of writers, and I've fallen prey to this too, you kind of get the cart before the horse and you think about saleability and marketing before the idea itself. So you go, okay, what's going to work? What's going to sell? Okay, this topic. All right, I'll do it. Okay, and it might it might succeed, but it's never going to be something that really takes off if it's not like a core deep passion of yours. It really does have to intersect with, with something that you are you're just crazy about and you can't stop thinking about and you want to research and you want to talk about and you want to write about. And and if you can identify that um, that is huge. Of course, there's a lot that has to happen after that. Like I've talked about, you have to refine the angle and, and figure things out and package it in a way that's going to be helpful to other people. But really identifying that thing that you're crazy about is really important. So helpful. Now, I want to end with what may feel like a simple question, but a lot of people are pondering this, is their why. Their why behind wanting to write. Um, I've heard numbers as much as 80% of people um, dream of writing a book someday, or it's got to be 110% of people um, think about a blog or some kind of way to get their content out there. I mean, there's so many possibilities for that. But Drew, um, talk about the why. Why do so many people aspire to write? What's, what's below that human desire? Hmm, that is a great question, because it's a little different for everyone. Uh, and I remember 
uh, years back, a friend asking me, and he was, he wasn't being a jerk. He was genuinely perplexed at my desire to write because <laughs> he said, why do you even care? Why, why do you want to put your words out there? Right. And, and I, which is think, a little insulting, right? Do you have anything good to say? <laughs> but I think, you know, when we talked about it more for him, it just wasn't a desire. Um, and, and I get that that's fine. But I think for those people who do have that desire, who do want to write, they, you know, someone said, I forget, we, we write to know that we're not alone. And ultimately, I think that's at the core of the desire to write is to connect with other people, um, to be heard, to enter into a conversation. And really writing ultimately is a conversation. Um, and then there's another layer, I think, when it comes to those of us who are writing about God, about the church, about spirituality, um, because there's a calling aspect to this that you you want to communicate God's truth. Um, and I believe, and, and this is getting harder sometimes to believe because we're in such a visually dominated culture, but I do believe that God is still changing people through the medium of the written word uh, because he's done that in my life. You know, when I think back, not only, of course, to scripture, but the Christian books that I've read that have shaped and molded uh, my life, uh, it's made a huge difference. And it's very um, cool to think that maybe some of my words would do the same for other people. So I think that's kind of at the heart of it. Absolutely agree. Well, that's beautiful. And Drew, thanks for giving us an insider's look on this as both a writing ninja, i.e. an editor and a writer (laughs) yourself. You have such a good angle on this. Uh, Grateful for all the messages that you're pulling out of people. What you do deeply matters. And welcome to the club. Only a few have been back to the podcast twice and you sit in that elite group. So Drew, thanks for coming on the podcast and hanging out with us today. Thank you. I'll try not to let it go to my head that I am uh, a two-time veteran of the podcast. Two-timer. Humility, my (laughs) friend. Humility. Thanks again, Drew. Thanks so much, Alan. Appreciate it. That's really good practical stuff there from Drew. And uh, people are just curious, what are publishers looking for? So I think that's really helpful. Uh, David, I know for you, I'm just continuing to encourage you. You've got stuff in you, write, write, write. And I know that that really sneaks up on all of us. The insecurity in writing uh, can be really, really tough. But we are continuing to write things, whether it's eBooks for our team, things that you can download, many of them for free. Uh, with Stay Forest. So you'll continue to see those things from our team. Guys, we want to encourage you to go over to storehouse.world. That's storehouse.world. And you can partner with us there. We love producing these podcasts, but it does take a lot of work, a lot of effort to curate the conversations, to edit these. And we ask for your partnership for as little as five or 10 bucks a month. You can continue to help us to produce this podcast. We've got some reward systems over there, some ability for you to throw out questions for us, and we'll answer all kinds of your questions over there on Storehouse. We love this site. By the way, you may be interested in having your cause, your ministry, or your idea um, taken to Storehouse so that Storehouse can share that literally all across the world with people who want to fund Kingdom Projects. We love this, and they're becoming a new partner of ours at Stay Forth. We would love your partnership. And guys, it's really, really simple. But if you can rate the podcast, you literally just have to click the button. We'd recommend five stars, but that's up to you. Click the button. That'll take five seconds, but that helps us become more visible among the myriad of podcasts that are out there today. 
And the reason that we're not shy with asking your support and your partnership is because we really believe in these conversations. We believe that they're crucial for leaders because at Stay Fort Designs and me and Alan personally, we believe that it's possible to lead healthy for the long haul and not lose your soul along the way. So we're excited that you guys are tracking with us. Thank you for all your support. And we'll see you in the next episode of the Right Side Up Leadership Podcast. Shot, shot, we focus so long.